0: I met my best friend, Anne, in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in
1: 1988. And she said, thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now Now we're all grown up.
2: Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing Book 60, Mary Ann's Makeover. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) do we even have to get into our one-sentence summaries? I feel like... I don't think it's a makeover.
0: Mm, Interesting. Oh, interesting. So by definition of things we were talking about in previous episodes, it doesn't meet the criteria.
1: She just gets a haircut and like a new one new outfit
2: or something. And she gets a lot of makeup. New makeup, too. I mean, it sounds
1: like in the scene when. okay, so spoiler. When they're like reconciled that they have a ton of makeup already. It's just like some new makeup. Mm-hmm. She's like asking Dawn for a shade, and Dawn's like, I have this one, this one, this one, and this mm-hmm. one. It's like, okay, I guess they all wear makeup. It's not that big of a deal.
2: Well, Emily doesn't care about when people change their appearance, apparently. <laughs> well, you know what? I care about why they do it, Anne. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, let's get into our one sentence summaries. I mean, Marianne gets a haircut. It- yeah.
0: That's Mm -hmm. that's close. That's mine
2: is a little (laughs) longer than that, but it starts the same. Marion gets a haircut
0: and everyone loses their damn mind.
1: Mm. Mine is Marianne gets a haircut and apparently a guy called Carlos lives in Stony Brook.
2: Yeah, what is Carlos's last name again? Mendez. Yeah. That's what we it is. a
0: lot of Mexican representation in this book. I'm making an assumption. He might not be Mexican. He may be some he other kind of Latinx, be, no. but yeah. they also mm-hmm. go to Casa Grande. Um, they do? So it's mm-hmm. like this Peter Larangius is like, there's not enough Mexican content in Stony
1: yeah. Brook. <laughs> and they eat burritos and enchiladas, multiple. Yes. Wait, yes. wasn't
2: there, remember that, the Mendez brothers? That's Menendez. What? You're talking about the guys that killed their parents? Yeah, but wasn't that on the East Coast? No,
0: it's Menendez. Oh, not Menendez. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Yikes Ann.
1: My my apologies to Carlos. Apologies to all Mendezes. <laughs> yeah. And the state of California. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <laughs> oh boy. Wait, you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. Ooh, I'm Emily idea. Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I
0: like health food. I'm Annie Shikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, please rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, please drop us a line at Stuck and Stony Brook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuck in Stonybrook. Ooh, okay. So Patreon, <laughs> this is a book that people really love. Like a lot of people, a lot of our followers on Instagram and other listeners have said like, oh, I'm so excited. You guys are about to get to Marianne's makeover. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm interested in sort of what what people love about this book, obviously we have our corners, but that really is the plot that you mentioned is Marianne has a, a, well, like a father-daughter day with Richard. Mm -hmm. Richard shows up pretty, pretty hard in this book, which I like. And he, she sees a, she sees a haircut in Seventeen Magazine and is inspired and wants to try to get this short haircut. And she mentions it casually at the BSC meeting and they're all like, (laughs) Okay, Marianne and make it make her feel sort of ashamed that she liked it. but then she keeps coming back to it. she's another says she's another picture that's similar. She shows it to her dad and he says that he thinks it would look beautiful and they make this plan. And then they go to Washington Mall to the fancy salon to Stacy's hairstylist. Joyce mm-hmm. Joyce, such a good 80s hairstylist name. I know it's the 90s now, but still it's great. Mm-hmm. So they go to Joyce. And they go to the new makeup store about face. And Marianne gets so a free, free makeover so that then they can sell her a bunch of products. Shocker. And then they also go to the, our clothing store, Stephen E., where Stephen himself lets them know that everything is 30 to 60% off. Um, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's right after Christmas. Makes sense. Yeah. Oh, you mean that it was Stephen?
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> I also feel like there are an ungodly amount of references to how cold it was. Oh, mm. well, it's January in Connecticut. Yeah, but like they don't, Typically, ruminate mm-hmm. that much on the weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, interesting. When it's near Halloween, it's crisp, right. and there are leaves. But like, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. She yeah. she remarks several times about how
2: cold she is. Yeah. By the way, I this kinda, book is in January. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of like that part though. Mm-hmm. It, I feel like it really added a lot to the mm-hmm. to the to the book. Give it gave yeah. an aura. I mean, look, <laughs> we all. Get bad haircuts
1: in January, okay? I know. It's those New Year's resolutions. I can't well, picture the part- haircut.
2: You can't picture it? Was on mean, the cover. This one? Well, I don't have the cover. Oh, okay. Oh, can you see it? Oh, it's cute. Yeah. Yeah. You should get your hair cut like that. Yeah. No,
0: I just got bangs. And, and then on. we'll shun you. <laughs> I know. Okay. Maybe well, you don't tell us first. So wait, but not every not everyone's a dick. I didn't tell you when I was getting bangs. It's true. It's true. Um, called me and was like, that
2: fucking bitch Emily.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then we got on podcasts and then neither of you talked to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I was like, Hello? Hello. I just did this. And turned off her video. Okay. <laughs> but Richard and Sharon are not dicks about it. <laughs> sorry are you done? you're not done Emily keep laughing I know and it's really funny I don't know you I know, know that. I know she's very funny she's very funny Logan is also not a dick about it and yeah. a bunch of the popular girls in school are nice about it but it's really just the BSC that shuns Marianne about her haircut and yeah, then it
1: while- happens so quickly and they're all like so mad at her yeah. for some reason which I don't really
2: get well
0: it's not really about the haircut
2: well, good thing Esme has your corner to go into the psychology yeah. of this. <laughs> and then the
0: B-plot is that Carolyn Arnold is building a time machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How do they come up with these B-plots? I don't know. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right, Emily. Well, do you want to tell us why it's not a makeover? I know we talked about makeovers a couple episodes ago and sort of previewed that <laughs> we might talk about them more here. But I don't know. What What do you got on this book?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's strange. You know, like we were talking a lot in the mystery when Janine gets a boyfriend about the trope, right? Girl is dorky or unlovable in some way and tries to make herself more appealing by changing her appearance. And that's like, doesn't seem to me like what is happening with Marianne. It seems like she sees something that she likes and almost the BSC response to it, to me, read like, it is a latent kind of, like, challenge to herself. Like, oh, everyone's always giving me a hard time for not standing up for myself or being too much of a pushover, and I liked this. And when I said something, everybody was kind of like, okay, Marianne, that's cute, and I feel, like, emboldened by that pushback. Mm. Mm -hmm. But she's also worried about it still, you know, Mm -hmm. like – she wa- She's both trying to assert herself and, like, be a people pleaser. And, like, those two impulses seem to, like, go against one another, I think, in this story.
2: Isn't her, like, haircut spurred on by New Year's resolution, where she says she wants to mm-hmm. be the best person, version of herself she can be or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's, but that's not, it's not like a... New Year's resolution to like be hotter or like, or even a high school boyfriend or even to change. Yeah. Just like, oh, I like something. And instead of chickening out, I'm going to challenge myself to like take a risk. And I think to me, that's not like a makeover. Yeah. And the makeup-y part of it seemed less like Critical. I think that's just like a feature of like writing adolescents in the 90s, right? Like, oh, girls wear makeup. Like, she doesn't like quintessentially change anything about her appearance except the haircut.
0: Yeah. I think that that's definitely true because you see that, like, you know, Richard's response after the, it's, they're clearly not doing like a wild, like makeup makeover, right? Because Richard says like, oh, you look really beautiful. Like it's it, it's like clearly like a natural look kind of situation, right? Yeah. If it yeah. was wild, Marianne would describe it as wild. Yeah, she she's doesn't not like slutting it, sluttin it like up with yeah. crazy
1: black eyeliner yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, so it's just like enhancing her natural features in the way that the haircut Mm -hmm. makes her realize she has a jawline and she's like excited about her jaw yeah it's a very it's a very Anna Martin New Year's resolution right because Mm -hmm. it's about like enhancing her own belief in herself and the person that Mm -hmm. she already is it's not Mm -hmm. about
1: changing Changing. in some kind of
0: fundamental way yeah
1: and Dawn is like it's so weird because the resolution of their fight is Dawn's Like, for lack of a better term, own daddy issues, right? Mm -hmm. And like, and but she like spins it as a Marianne violating some terms of their friendship and then like get rallies all the girls on her team. Like, Mm -hmm. that is the part that seemed a bit of a stretch to me. Like, I could see Christy being a little bit like, that's so weird that you didn't tell me you wanted to get that haircut. And then, but Marianne could have easily said, yes, I did. I said it in the meeting and you were like, oh, you dismiss me. Like, mm-hmm. boom, boom, done. Mm-hmm. No, like you have no ground to stand on actually, because I mm-hmm. did I did express interest in this and you all laughed at me. But like, it yeah, it becomes this like weird violation of like some
0: friendship thing that I just didn't get. Well, I think that they're all... I think each of the four eighth grade members of the BSE, because she makes it very clear that Mal and Jesse are just like bystanders in this whole situation again, Mm -hmm. which is which is kind of not part of it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think that that happens often when the whole like core BSE or eighth grade BSE loses their minds. Right. If we even think back to like Little Miss Stony Brook and Dawn. Right. Mal and Jesse are like you bitches do what you want. This is sexist. Like, and I, I, it's a similar vibe here. Like I get they're not in the eighth grade and so they don't interact with the same kids, but you know, they also wouldn't, because of their sort of lower status in the BSE, they wouldn't be like, okay, Marianne, sure. Get that haircut, you know? Yeah. So they're not going to say anything critical. So they're not setting up this like, adversarial relationship with Marianne from the beginning before she mm-hmm. even gets the haircut. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me like Don, Christy, Stacey, and Claudia all have different reasons that they're upset with Marianne following the haircut. Like, the, and and that it amplifies, and they use Marianne's retreating behavior to justify their continued anger, right? So the haircut sparks it, but then Christy's hurt that Marianne cancels on her kid Kit shopping plan and hangs out with Logan instead and and spins this vibe of, like, you're prioritizing your boyfriend and then these random popular girls who are talking to you now over your real friends. Whereas mm-hmm. Dawn has the daddy issues issue and the, like, why do you keep secrets from your sister? And Stacey and Claudia, it's a little less clear. I think we get yeah. less insight into that, but there's a vibe of their, I mean, Marianne certainly interprets it as they're supposed to be the, like, sophisticated Cool ones, and like Marianne's encroaching on their territory in some way. Like she's supposed to be the plain, reliable friend, and not the fashionable friend. And that this could, you know, make Claudia and Stacy jealous or upset in some way. Whereas I think it's more likely that they're just feeding on Don and Christie's, and so, and because they're actually seeing Don and Christie, and they're together at meetings, and Marianne's not there. They're going to hear Don and Christie's side of things, and then that's going to be kind of a contagion in the friend group.
1: I guess it just seems to me, okay, so like. One of the things that they're upset about is, like, Marianne, it seems to me, like, they have this read on her as suddenly becoming a different person. And, like, their evidence for that is what what Marianne does to protect herself when she is already feeling slighted or snubbed. And so, Mm -hmm. like, they... They, like, decided in advance that she changed and then, like, found evidence to fit the theory based on how they treated her. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, she, like, that, uh, Marianne retreating when she's, uh, like, disaffected by a reaction is very much Marianne. Like, why would they, why would they read that as, like, this, as, like, a, a snotty, like, You'd rather hang out with Sabrina Yeah, Bouvier. preference for yeah. other people. And like, why would they believe any Carlos rumors? Like, that to me seemed so absurd. Yeah, yeah. Agreed,
0: agreed. But I think they're, you know, they're 13 years old. And so... <laughs> yeah, well, you keep saying that. They're 13. Yeah. yeah. So they're looking at it through, you know, they're looking at it rather solipsistically, right? Like, it's through mm-hmm. their lens of what they're seeing and what they're worried about in that moment. Yeah. And they're not widening it out to, to see... Marianne's perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just think it's funny that, like, we get more of the classic makeover trope in Uh Janine's history at Claudia's house than in a book that
0: has makeover in the title. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I wanted to know what you thought of Logan's reversal in this book as our chief, as the head of the Logan Bruno unfan club whatever that is the Logan Bruno enemy club because I feel like he you know his reputation is that he's constantly trying to change Marianne Mm -hmm. and I think it was a widely accepted idea in 1992 hopefully a little bit less now that if you cut your hair your boyfriend would be upset Mm. um and that I remember lots of you know do guys actually like short hair articles in all the teen magazines when we Mm -hmm. were in high school right and like that was like a big I feel like that article comes out every three months in every teen magazine like it's contractually obligated (laughs) so I was I was, like, relieved by Logan in this book and felt like he sort of bucked expectations a little bit. But I'd love Mm -hmm. your, you know, gender analysis, Emily, of the things that he says because they didn't sound like a 13-year-old boy to me. He never sounds like a 13-year-old boy to me.
1: That's part of the, like, weirdness of Logan. Yeah, I mean, he seems, like, really clued into the friendship tension, you know. Mm -hmm. And, like, he goes to a meeting with her. Mm-hmm. And then he can't. And so she's like scared to mm-hmm. face the silence or the judgment or whatever. So she just stops going to meetings. And he's like, something's got to give, you know, like, what What are you going to do about this? Not not in like a blamey way, but like a, hey, this is like, I don't want you to live like this kind of way. Mm-hmm. It seems like for her benefit, not for his. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, to your point that like, you know, the the short the boy haircut right <laughs> who mm-hmm. calls it that yeah don um, calls, calls it that. christy don calls it that yeah is not like stereotypically hot mm-hmm. but but she's getting all these like stereotypically hot reactions to mm-hmm. it <laughs> mm-hmm. which I think is fun yeah uh, but I, I I don't know that that says in particular about the dynamics of that that haircut specifically mm-hmm. as it does about the idea that Marianne won't do anything new or exciting or interesting yeah right so like what makes it hot is that marianne did it not the haircut Mm -hmm. itself
0: (laughs) right that she's been in stony brook since birth and all of these kids that have known her forever are like Mm -hmm. wait that's marianne's that's marianne spear Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah whoa whoa
1: bold like least likely to get a boy haircut. Yeah, and, but well, I, obviously yeah. Carlos is more hip to gender-bucking trends. He's right. very very interested in Marianne. Yes, he's, yeah, he's into
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Carlos Mendez. Yeah. It's but actually well, Mendez. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Good. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. There's I'm trying to find what Logan actually says because it struck me as as quite feminist actually after he, you know, talks to her about the haircut. Yeah. She says, Logan, do you really like my hair? This is on page 68. And it says, Logan held my shoulders gently and looked me in the eye. I really do. But that shouldn't matter. Oh, Marianne, you don't need to listen to what anyone says. You're the one who has to like it. If it makes you feel good, that's what counts. Which I feel like is something that, you know, and you, you have to write things from this point of view all of the time as like, you know, beauty choices as individual empowerment and like (laughs) women feeling good about themselves, not performing for the male gaze or for the, you know, gaze of anyone, right? Their parents, their bosses, like whoever. And so it seemed to me quite progressive for 1992 to have a boy say that to his eighth grade girlfriend. I was just curious both Anne from your perspective of kind of writing about these ideas and Emily from your actually much more learned gender perspective than me, what you guys made of that.
2: Quote. i mean i think logan is an inconsistent character <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he's growing also, he's growing <laughs> but i think both richard spear and logan were written in a way in this particular book to to make to move along the plot and make it work better mm-hmm. and i think they probably like i actually don't think richard spear would be super into any of the stuff like i think he wants to spend quality time with his daughter. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of a, I feel, a one a 180 for him to just mm-hmm. be... His enthusiasm, I mean, is kind of out of left field for me. As is Logan's, like, suddenly he's the most supportive boyfriend in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah. I have some thoughts on Richard's enthusiasm but, uh, that I'll keep for my corner. But, yeah. It also strikes me as a
1: bit of a... Like a... Okay, so on the one hand, we have this gender dynamic where girl makes herself cute physically appealing to boy but i think it's also a little bit of a of a line to be like i don't care what you look like you know like i'm i'm here for the personality not the boobs or whatever right like <laughs> i read it for i read it for the articles or, is that what matt says you know you? like <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> please but you know what i mean like it's it's a bit of a like uh, yeah, I read it for the articles,
0: kind of mm-hmm. line to me. Right. Um, In eighth grade, are you sophisticated enough to say, at, like, to me, that's like, you know, for Emily, have we talked about F Boy Island yet? Have you watched F Boy Island? Fuck Boy Island? <laughs> yeah. No. This is your new favorite show. Okay. I just ruined your your students' chances of getting their final projects graded in a timely manner. This is a show no, that
1: like that air. was going to happen
0: anyway. Yeah. That's cute. Um, but it's like I I just I don't know that Logan has been socialized enough at this point to know that that's the right thing to say. like if he were a junior in high school I would think that. But I don't know that that like he's so he socialized,
1: socialized in- enough to gaslight her but not to yeah be a fuck
0: boy yeah because <laughs> i think the gaslighting comes naturally like that's just patriarchy for everybody but like mm-hmm. what's the proper thing to say to like fake empower your girlfriend i feel like is a little bit more nuanced mm. yeah i don't know he's i think he's angling for that otphj you know <laughs> all right we're gonna have stuff to sell stickers with that on it <laughs> let us know if you want an otphj sticker everybody You can email us at stuck and gmail.com. We can graphic design something <laughs> real nice for you. Okay. All right. You got I anything else? I couldn't draw it. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I I I went a little bit in a different direction. I I I can talk about Richard a little bit too, but you know, I think what this book is fundamentally about is the people's urge for their friends to stay the same and predictable, particularly during middle school. So we talked a lot early in the podcast and early in the series about why Anna Martin is so attracted, like why they're in eighth grade forever (laughs) and why Anna Martin is so attracted to this developmental period. And I do think it has a complexity that, early childhood all the sleepover friends and high school all of sweet valley high do not have because there's this push and pull between childhood and adolescence and middle school is a time when traditionally a lot of friendships shake up and change and fall away and like you could be with you know one crowd at the end of elementary school and you're with a completely different crowd at the beginning of high school because so much stuff rearranges in middle school and the bsc is so much about like these are my people and we're friends forever, and we're here for each other no matter what, that any threat to that structure, I think, is really scary. And so that, to me, is what this book was about, is, is not, you know... The haircut is a metaphor. Not Not so much the haircut, right, but that... You know, Christy especially, because we've seen Christy worry about this before with Marianne, right? When she's getting close to Don in the beginning and then when Richard and Sharon are getting married and she's actually going to be Don's sister, Christy's had to really synthesize a lot that Marianne can change and have other things and still be there for her and still be close to her. So Christy's already kind of easily triggered, I think, about Marianne leaving her. And then Don has, you know, Don and Marianne had their whole uh, great romance, wicked stepsister arc, where they had these giant expectations about how perfect being stepsisters was going to be. And then they like crashed down and they had to kind of work through that and synthesize what their roles were going to be. And so I think those two are particularly sensitized to it, are things not going to be the same? And Christy, especially, you know, and speaking as a Christie, like change is hard. Like, <laughs> we, we like to know what's happening in our environment and be in control of it, right? And so I think that that's what this book is about. And I think it's really deftly done. And that's my hypothesis as to why it's so many people's favorites. Because I think, like, every girl that has lived through middle school can recognize this, like, but wait, I thought we were here and now you're actually cool. I mean, it's the plot of my so-called life, right? What's Angela's dorky best, previous best friend before Rayanne? What's her name? Sharon? Is it Sharon? I think I, it's Sharon. I think so, yeah. yeah. You know, Sharon's like, what the fuck, Angela? You dyed your hair magenta? Like, mm-hmm. what What happened to you? What's going on, you know? And that's, like, the whole point of the series is Angela becoming close to Rayanne and Ricky and, and you know, how does she synthesize still having Sharon in her life? And so that's what, that's what struck me about this, and I think it's, like, a good telling of that story. And I almost felt like Dawn's, like... I was jealous of you and Richard was kind of shoehorned in there and didn't make a lot of sense and I would have liked her to talk more just about being scared about the friendship and the sistership <laughs> than that cuz Don's dad isn't de- like that would make more sense for Christy in some ways right like cuz Christy just doesn't even have a dad and like of course she has Watson and he's lovely on Dawn- Don has a dad that she misses but Don doesn't want that relationship with Richard and Dawn would be weirded out if Marianne spent a day with her mom and did all, like, I don't know, like that struck me as a little bit more false than the overall arc of them freaking out about this.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Good talk, guys. Good talk. Good discussion. No, <laughs> yeah, but I agree that it's like you want people to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I I felt that pressure in general all throughout my adolescence, mm-hmm. like and I don't, that's part of the reason why I think I didn't like middle school or high school mm-hmm. is because I felt like everyone was kind of like labeled a certain thing totally. in high school. And I didn't identify with that at all. And it made me feel like I couldn't just like be this person that didn't, that existed outside these groups. Mm-hmm. And so I just, as you know, it's not that people didn't like me. I just didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere. hmm And I didn't really want to change myself to fit in anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I felt, I I think that's honestly part of the reason I moved to New York, and also in combination with my career goals, Mm -hmm. is just to get away Mm -hmm. and just like kind of start over where people didn't know me. Then I remember being very annoyed when like we came back for our, it was like, I guess our 10 year reunion. Mm -hmm. And everyone was just like, I can't believe, I can't believe you live in New York now just because, like, they didn't expect that from me.
0: They oh. were like, "And I can't believe you cut your hair short. I know. Yeah. yeah. I don't... That's so interesting that you took that as being about you. I think that was about them. I think, you know, I think a lot well, of people yeah. in our high school stay in Sacramento. And... Because Sacramento's great. Like, no shade at all. Like, it's a wonderful place to be. But I think that that was, like, a crazy thing. Like, that's a crazy thing for a lot of people to move yeah, to Yeah, but York. if
2: you take someone in high school who wasn't like a standout and meant like you know it's not that I'm not I'm not putting myself down by saying this but it wasn't I was like active and like a lot of things are super popular it was just like I just kind of flew under the radar yeah
0: everybody knew Anne. this is not true
2: well um, I mean also that's just yeah people knew who I was but it's you know what I mean it wasn't yeah, like but I, I think I got at, yeah yeah but I think yeah, yeah,
0: I think I just I think everybody feels that way. I mean, to a certain extent, right? Uh, and I, I hope this is I'm not trying to minimize your experience, mm-hmm. but I think that's part of why this book is so popular. Is I think mm-hmm. that that's a like I remember being really stressed about that too. Like I I wanted to cut my hair and I didn't do it until after high school because mm-hmm. I felt like I couldn't do I didn't want commentary on it. You know? Well, exactly. You don't want
2: yeah. Or like I remember yeah. I lost some weight when I went to college and everybody commented on how I lost weight and Ooh, I was just yeah. like. It's just, I don't, I don't like that attention. I yeah. don't want people to even like really notice me in general. Yeah. So changing yeah. anything about myself is very like, Yeah. which is why I have the same haircut since I was eight yeah. years old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we also, but we see Marianne struggling with that too, right? Like a little bit, she likes the attention, but a little bit, she's like, okay, I wish I could just have an old Marianne haircut wig that I could put on. So people would stop paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
1: I'm wondering if like growing up with social media, makes this different for me because I feel like I don't know like I've had the experience a couple times where I'll go home you know go to the bar on the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving or whatever Mm -hmm. and people I haven't seen since middle school or high school Mm -hmm. are like oh my god I saw the your pictures from the that time you lived in Paris that's so cool and it's like everyone knows everything
0: (laughs) yeah I think that's super different
1: Yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's a good point. Like people are more up to date now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, like, maybe there's less of a confrontation of the Mm -hmm. surprise because that happens privately right right? like someone's Mm -hmm. scrolling and like wow emily still is in new york that's fucking weird but like when i interact (laughs) with them i don't get that
2: reaction right right (laughs) right, right, right. yeah Yeah. well that's totally true because it's also even when it's like really big things like what if somebody like announces they're gay or they have Mm -hmm. a baby or like Mm -hmm. everyone puts their huge a lot of they People share a lot. Uh-huh. So even if I saw someone and they were, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I don't know, like something crazy. You, you text me about it. You text me and Michelle about it. Yeah. I'm we like, just oh my God, so-and-so. Yeah. But then if I saw that person in person, I'd be like, whatever. Like, I already know that. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think this about like everyone I know who's in who's gotten engaged in the last 10 years, right? Like they posted on social media. Mm-hmm. And then when I see them, I'm like, by the way, congrats on your engagement because I saw it on the internet. It's not like a, I see them and then they're like, surprise, right? You know,
0: guess, guess like, what? And you like don't get Friends. that real time <laughs> yeah, reaction. <laughs> That's so interesting. I remember that was one of the things that I hated most about getting engaged was mm-hmm. that I had to, and, and like, cause I got engaged in 2003 and that I had to like figure out how to tell people that I didn't see day to day and I wasn't using any social media and mm-hmm i just felt like it was so awkward like Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) yeah totally interesting i have a friend who just went back to work from maternity leave and i was like oh are you looking forward to going back she was like actually yes but i'm not looking forward to everyone being like oh my god how are you how's the baby (laughs) and then having to like do it's just like Mm -hmm. (sighs) explaining your life to people over and over again is not (laughs) it's exhausting instagram about it yeah i know it does make it easier (laughs)
0: Okay, I have a couple more things. So let's let's talk about Richard a little bit. Since you mentioned it, Anne. I feel like Richard's Richard's quite a hero in this book. And in chapter three, I really, I thought this was just super well rendered and super accurate. What are you what are you doing? You guys are on my be real. Oh, my God. Speaking of social media. <laughs> okay. So I, Marianne comes up to Richard and has a seat next to him while he's reading the newspaper in the living room to talk to him about getting the haircut. Can you guys read this section? Can one of you be Richard and one of you be Marianne? I, know, I only have a Kindle. Okay. Do you Wait, what only? page is it What page on? is it? It's page 30 in the print, print book. It's like a couple pages from the end of chapter three. Okay. Starting with, hi, I said nonchalantly. All right, Emily, be Richard. And you be okay. okay. Hi,
2: I said nonchalantly. Dad looked up and smiled. Hi, you look happier than before. Oh, yeah. I think the weather was getting me down. I said, then I took the plunge. Dad, can I show you something? Sure. I, I held th- out the picture. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize we were doing that. That's okay. okay. <laughs> what do you think of this haircut? Dad looked at it, scratching his chin. Very spiffy.
0: He's always Why? using he's always using words like that.
2: Well, I was thinking, it looks kind of pretty, and I need a trim anyway. You mean you want to get a cut like
0: this for yourself? Dad said, <laughs> taking the magazine to look closer. I nodded meekly.
2: Yeah, don't you think it'd be a nice change? Dad drummed his fingers against his
0: chin. I had an awful feeling. A scary image popped into my head. He'd get so angry he'd never let me cut my hair again. I'd be like Rapunzel. I pictured my hair growing down to my feet with split ends that started at my waist. But Dad exhaled and nodded. I think you would look lovely. Huh? I didn't think I was hearing right. My dad does have some kind of a strange, quiet sense of humor. Sometimes I can't tell if he's joking.
2: You you mean it?
0: Dad chuckled. Yes, I mean it. I always thought... Short hair would suit you. I was under
1: the impression you didn't like it.
0: Oh, dad. (laughs) I cried, throwing my arms around him. Now, if you want it really short, (laughs) he said with a sly smile,
1: there's a fellow at Frank's Barbershop. (laughs) I replied. I was thinking of that salon
2: on Washington Mall where Stacy got her perm isn't that kind of far what about the place in town no i said they destroyed poor karen Brewer's hair we could skip that part go ahead emily well we wouldn't want that dad
1: said what are you doing saturday you know nothing special how about a father-daughter day we haven't done that in a long time i'll take you to the salon then we can browse around the mall have some lunch
0: just hang out I can't help laughing when my dad uses expressions like hang out he kind Uh of he kind of of wiggles his head awkwardly like he's trying to be hip Uh but no matter i was thrilled
2: that would be so much fun
0: okay so let's stop there i really like the picture of richard going hang out like and like wiggling his head and like trying to like Use Like, he's trying to use hip language in 1992, and the closest he gets is hangout. (laughs) It's just, like, from considerably earlier than 1992. So what I think we're seeing here is a dad actively trying to be a good dad to a 13-year-old daughter. So I think that he may have his own different opinions, but he's, like slowing down. He's making sure that he's supportive. He's read a couple parenting magazines or Sharon has talked to him a little (laughs) bit, you know, like he's like doing the work of Mm -hmm. being supportive to Marianne and doing things that won't hurt her self-confidence. And so that's what I liked about it here. I don't think it's a 180 personality change. I think he may have different thoughts inside. Not sure, but I think he's like, you know, good parenting is not always doing what comes naturally to you. It's doing what your kid needs in that moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So I think that that's all we're seeing.
2: Yeah. I buy that. Yeah. Good job, Esme, that you really cleared that up for me. Are you convinced, Anne? Well, why does it sound so mean when you say that? <laughs> that's how I
1: give a compliment. Mm, yeah. Wait. Anne's a bit, Anne comes from the school of nagging.
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah. Seriously. You're I think so that haircut looks really
1: nice yeah is it real <laughs> yeah <laughs> is it real is that your real hair
0: <laughs> it'll grow out all right my last thing was and i'm assuming and you might talk more about carolyn and her obsession with back to the future and her time machine but they actually think they did a nice little thing in the b the arnold twins are eight right are they eight or nine they did a nice thing in the b plot about Carolyn convincing herself Mm -hmm. that maybe just maybe this time machine will work after she spends all the time working on it. And Marianne's empathy for that of remembering when she was young and wasn't sure if maybe she really was a princess and maybe she'd find out later. I do think this is a thing, seven, eight, nine, when kids are really into any particular, you know, how many kids were waiting for their owl and their letter from Hogwarts to say that they were actually a wizard, right? Like that the, it is funny, fuzzy at that time. And so, yeah, I just thought it was really a really nice version of that. So the developmental yeah. spike on that plot was good, I thought. It's an interesting
1: B-plot, too, because there's not a barely concealed metaphor. It's just like a a, di- a completely different thing happening with the kids that, that Marianne that like dramatizes her feeling of being being distant from her friends right, right. like she could if, have used if, their input mm-hmm. yeah yeah and she would have handled it differently or maybe sooner yeah um, yeah hmm.
2: cool. Works out. all right annie well as you said caroline's very obsessed with back to the future which i thought was kind of funny because it's at this point it's 1993 january 1993 really i thought it's oh yeah wow 93. Mm-hmm. damn okay yeah, and Back to the Future came out in 1985, so they probably have the movie on VHS or something. Mm-hmm. And she watches it a lot, which mm-hmm. when I was that age I watched, I actually watched Back to the Future a lot when I was a kid, too. Mm-hmm. And I watched Back to the Future, Bye Bye Birdie, and Grease a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they I were like... I have watched all three of those movies with you guys. Probably. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. There was like my three on repeat all the time. What's what's the song in Bye Bye Birdie when they're on the phone? Telephone hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> genius! It's
0: very good. Genius. Oh my god.
2: So, I mean, we all know what Back to the Future is about. I'm, I'm guessing most people have seen this movie because it's very iconic. But a few fun nuggets about it is that okay, so. Bob Zemeckis is director Back to the Future. He had this idea for this time traveling movie for many years, but no one, no studio wanted to make it because he had a track record of having unsuccessful movies at the time. But he made a movie called Romancing the Stone prior to this. <laughs> that was a big hit. So that's mm-hmm. how he eventually got Back to the Future made. Then you know who this loves is, Romancing the Stone? Your mom. Yeah, knew it. I feel like we've talked about this before. Probably, honestly. Shout out to she, Dana. So, she likes *Romancing the Stone*, Dennis Quaid, and Diet Coke, or is it Diet Pepsi? Pepsi. Diet Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. She's shouting at her speaker right now. <laughs> sorry, Dana. Sorry. So, of course, obviously, *Back to the Future* was a huge hit. So, kind of going parallel to this to this timeline is he also was up for directing Roger Rabbit. And he couldn't, he really wanted to direct that movie, but the studios had the same reason, where you don't Mm. have a track record of any successful movies. So he did Romancing the Stone and Back to the Future Back to Back, and then he was able to get direct Roger Rabbit. Who framed Roger Uh, Rabbit?
0: Yes. I was like, come on, get the title correct.
2: Yes. (laughs) I mean, everyone just calls it Roger Rabbit, though. No one says who friend Roger Rabbit. Anyway, I thought oh, that was interesting. Because I yeah. knew about I knew about how he wanted to direct Roger Rabbit, but I didn't I forgot how Back to the Future kind of tied into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also for Emily, there's this little bit about Back to the Future about some criticism about it. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that it promotes Reaganism. Yeah. So I thought I was like, oh, but it's just funny how when I watched it as a kid, I had no idea what that even was
1: right turn it down
2: baby <laughs> yeah but like i forgot i was like oh yeah like reagan was like definitely like they had that line about how doc brown was like
0: oh how he ronald- cracks up
2: yeah, yeah. he's like ronald reagan's the president
0: yeah anyway, yeah
2: mm-hmm. that's funny yeah then also there is some criticism about the character of marty playing johnny be good at the end mm. of the film because it shows like A white man rewriting Mm -hmm. rock and roll history which Mm -hmm. i never thought about either but now i'm like shit yeah fair fair Fair. that's very very fair so those are just some highlights of some nuggets from that also jesse mentions the ballet dancer nijinsky Mm -hmm. quickly and i was like oh i haven't i've never heard of him before Mm -hmm. so i started reading about him and there's a lot about him, but it's very interesting. I'll do I'm going to do a very very abbreviated version of his of his bio. So, he was born in Russia to Polish parents and he identified as being Polish, not Russian. Mm-hmm. He was like a crazy ballet prodigy. He was known for being able to dance <laughs> On point for a man, which was mm. rare. No one did that. He, this this kind of like this rich Russian guy started. I believe it's called like Ballet Russe, which was like a new Russian ballet mm. troupe. And he was very like aristocratic and very like cultured, and he wanted to like bring Russian ballet to different parts of Europe, like Paris and stuff. <clears throat> so he Nijinsky became his like you know primary dancer, and they they became lovers mm-hmm so, I was say, this sounds like it's going someplace gay, yeah, <laughs> so they became lovers, and then whatever a bunch of stuff happens, but this woman saw him dance in a ballet and she became like obsessed with him, mm-hmm. like almost like stalkerish mm-hmm. and she like followed him around. she like followed him throughout all his tour and she they ended up getting married and they had like two children. It's Wait, very bizarre. Worked? Yeah, okay. I guess it worked. Because I think she was very wealthy. Yikes. Okay. So then, you know, the his lover was very upset and everything. And then World War One happened. And I guess he was like interned somewhere for like a year, but he was able to get out. And then he was so stressed out over just like managing this like ballet troupe that he had his own ballet troupe now that he his mental health declined, and he was diagnosed with having schizophrenia, and oh then he then tragic. he died, basically. Well, and, and who I, knows what that was at that? Who time? knows what that what was? But he, this is in the early 1900s. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who knows? Yeah. But I actually, because I, I looked. I was like, "How old was he when he was diagnosed?" And he was like, "Well, into his 30s."
0: Yeah. I mean, it could have been like Huntington's Korea. It could have been like a bunch of different neurological things that right. our later life that mimics schizophrenia. I mean, you know, and also what they called schizophrenia then is not what we call schizophrenia now. And yeah. right. But right. anyway, anyway, he had a
2: tragic end. He had a very tragic, yeah. and very interesting life. But I was interested because Jesse talked about how people would faint when oh, he that. Oh, by the beauty of his
0: dancing? His, and
2: yes, yeah. people were very like, he was like one of the first male, like... Ballet dancers who were just like really like amazing and athletic, mm-hmm. and people would like gasp like in the audience and wow. like cry and stuff. So it's awesome. Damn. I know. Interesting, right? Another, they mention that Richard Spear likes Charlie Parker. Mm-hmm. That whole part in the mall when he starts pretending to do like the drumming, <laughs> like, what is this? He loved it. <laughs> it. Loved it. <laughs> yeah. He picked up a three month old issue of Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. which I feel like they've been mentioning magazines a lot more in the Mm -hmm. series, but I looked up what would be on the October 1992 cover Rolling Stone. (laughs) So I could see Richard Spear picking it up in this, in the hair Mm -hmm. salon and being Mm -hmm. like, is there a wall street journal around here? But so Rolling Stone came out every two weeks. So it would have either been Bono Uh Mm. or or Sinead O'Connor. Oh, he would not like Sinead in 92. Well that's what I think it's yeah. I think it was probably Sinead if he was like oh. Yeah. And they're not a Wall Street Journal in here? Yeah, I know.
0: I could picture him listening to U two though. I feel like U two would have been up Richard's alley, like in terms of the, the what what little non jazz he would listen to. I feel like he could venture into U two territory.
2: I agree. That's like a dad mm-hmm. dad rock. It's a dad band. Of. Yeah, dad yeah. rock. And then there was a mention of the game Mousetrap, which <clears throat> Have they played this game? Yeah. I know they did Operation. Yeah, they played Mousetrap in the
0: same the same one where they did Operation.
2: Yeah. So this is there is a there's a man named Mark Perez, not Menendez. Not Menendez or (laughs) Mendez. I was gonna say any relation to Carlos. (laughs) But he built the world's largest mousetrap game board, like to like life size. Oh my god. And it weighs like 25 pounds twenty five tons and he like I want to go tra- to there. <laughs> and he like travels around like so people can like play it. When is it coming to California? <laughs> I don't know. His his website's really like Geo Cities looking, but there are photos of this life-size mouse trap and it is amazing. That sounds so weird. <laughs> I'm not kidding, and I he, really want to do that. That would be awesome. Yeah. So in, in the section of his website that says why and he talks about how he <laughs> He Sorry. was, I mean... That's really funny. I know. Well, it's true. Like, why? So he was obsessed with the game as a kid, kind of obviously. And he said that as a kid, he learned he could exercise control over his own destiny with no help from parents or older siblings, just using his wit against the world. From the game Mousetrap? From the game Mousetrap. <laughs> okay. And he said he, he, like, memorized the mousetrap game board and he could like assemble it with his eyes closed and like (laughs) he's very very obsessed
0: with the game we all did all kinds of things before there was an internet you know what i mean
2: i know seriously (laughs) so he said that he completed the world's largest mousetrap board game in 2005 and yeah he's very passionate about it and it looks fucking cool that's awesome Sick. Oh, we had some
0: candy in this book, yeah? I just wrote down milk duds. Yeah, they had a lot of yeah. milk duds.
2: Yeah, because Chrissy was trying to throw them. Well, she was successful. Yeah, she was trying to, to throw teach them turn. how to yes. do it better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that's that's all I had. But all maybe right. I missed something. Yeah, no, I think, I, 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 yeah. I I think that was it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do you like a milk dud, Emily, or too sweet for you? Too sweet. Yeah, I like milk duds. I
2: know. So, like, so Emily's eating a bowl of pomegranate seeds. Yeah. Do you know what I ate for breakfast? I ate a cookie. I had two eggs and a piece of toast. (laughs) Yeah. There's a bagel
0: waiting for me in the
2: living room. Okay.
0: Okay. So, tallies are complicated this week because I think a new thing that I need to start keeping track of as we move into more and more Ghostwriter territory is continuity errors. So, I have Mm the regular tallies. We got one sensitive, one bossy, one sophisticated. And one individualist again, Emily. And then I counted under my social justice watch when they're at Casa Grande, they say burritos, enchiladas and a bunch of other fattening stuff, which I think is both an anti-fat bias and... Slightly racist. This sort of idea that healthy food is white food and that various ethnic foods are not healthy, which was just not necessary. Like, just talk about how delicious the burritos and enchiladas are. And did you guys notice the two g- glare? Well, you can look at my notes, but did you notice the two glaring continent? Be honest. Did you notice the two glaring continuity continuity errors in this book? No. Okay. No. One was in the first chapter. We have some serious Mallory erasure where Marianne says. I ended up talking to Mrs. Arnold and convincing her to let the twins dress differently and have different personalities. Oh, yeah. Mallory. That was Mallory. And Marianne, like, full on takes credit for it. I'm not going to blame Mar- the character of Marianne. I'm baiting, blaming Peter Larangius. But I was like, no, you t- you full on did not. So that made me mad. And then the name Sabrina Bouvier doesn't sound familiar to you all. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sabrina Bouvier is the winner of the Little Miss Stony Brook pageant. So canonically oh. she is nine years old, but now all <laughs> of a sudden she's a popular girl at SMS. That's oh. so weird. Why would you use the same name? It's time travel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe she got in Carolyn's time machine. It's not
1: and- a continuity error. That's a what are the what are, an Easter egg.
2: Sure. Oh, God.
0: Sure. So anyway, the, the the Mallory erasure made me more upset than Sabrina Bouvier. I guess it's just a fun name and it sounds like both a winner of a beauty pageant and a popular girl. So they wanted to recycle mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. But, you know, Marianne did not talk to Mrs. Arnold. That's messed up. That's true. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. No. Anyway, weirdest lines. I feel like there were a lot in this book. I like how this Peter Loran just writes. What were your favorite? Well, I liked very spiffy because I can yeah. picture Richard saying that. Awkwardly, and because I just mm-hmm. I liked the word spiffy, I used it a lot in middle school and high school. Very so spiffy. Always, yeah, I also liked that Marianne called Claudia a junk food squirrel. Okay,
2: you're not going to talk about spiffy world. No, no. <laughs> Let's say that for another time. Okay. So,
0: junk food squirrel with capital letters for each of the yeah words. That's good. Was good too. Yeah. What did you guys have?
1: I feel like very spiffy is a funny title. Too, because like descriptive of Marianne's yeah. non-makeover makeover. Yeah, very yeah. spiffy. I'm into that.
2: Yeah, I had the jaw that launched a thousand ships. Yeah, yeah, that was very also good. Funny.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The jaw thing is funny. Yeah,
2: in
0: general, I love, I love that she's just into her jaw. It's great. Yeah, she's like, oh, have you guys ever noticed how hot I am? Yeah, she's like, <laughs> Did- see, see. Yeah, look Did at my jaw. Have- Did
1: you have a different one, Emily, or no? <laughs> No, I the only one I wrote down was very spiffy.
0: Okay. Well then let's go with very spiffy. Yeah. Let's do it. Perfect. What shall we pizza toss to uh, face? Okay, I just <laughs> this is about face. This is I just have a couple things that I thought were really funny throughout. One is that Marianne's describing how beautiful the the gym looks for the January Jamboree. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons she thinks it looks beautiful is that there's a mural of a turn-of-the-century New England winter scene. Yeah, what (laughs) makes it turn-of-the-century? What does that even mean? What does that mean? Why is Marianne excited about it? Like, in 1993?
1: So So we could pizza toast to the, what's it called? The dance? The January Jamboree.
2: Oh, yeah, the January Jamboree. Where they
0: also played a great rock tune. I wrote that down.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, Don's like, this is. I love this tune or whatever. Yes, it's a great
0: rock tune. Yeah. What tune is and this? And then I, like all, I liked also that it all ended with them being like, Carlos. And then this guy turns around. He's just like, hey.
1: Hey. Oh, let's pizza toast to Carlos
0: Menendez, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah, Carlos <laughs> Menendez. I feel, okay, I want to say one more thing about it, though. I feel like both them yelling Carlos and him looking over his shoulder at the dance and there's this one other moment that are like very much like 80s teen movie cinematic moments mm-hmm. and it's when Marianne first goes to school and Logan's tent friend Bruce Shermerhorn on page 65 turns around and like slowly says like hey to Marianne like he like does like a double take and is like mesmerized by her beauty I could mm-hmm. see like the soft focus and like spando ballet playing in the background <laughs> like, so hey. anyway those moments I thought were great we can we can piece a toast to Carlos
2: Mendez. Okay. To Carlos. To Carlos Menendez. <laughs> Needs to <test> to Carlos. <laughs> this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to
1: Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.